So we, we're doing a series, if you haven't been here, um, on uh, growing stronger together uh, as a church family. So this has been our focus, and today we're talking about growing one another through God's Word. Um, I became a Christian when I was uh, 11 years old. I'm, I'm really thankful that my parents sat down with me and had at least, from what I remember, uh, two conversations about becoming a Christian um, during my fourth and fifth grade years of school. And I'm very thankful for their influence in my life. But one of the things that I don't remember having in my early years was receiving from my church a lot of help outside of the sermon and outside of a class that I went to on how to live for God. And um, I had really nice and really encouraging and loving uh, teachers in my classes as a kid and, and youth group. I clearly remember a pastor was well-educated from seminary and taught the Bible, though I didn't understand much of what he said. Um, but I did, I, didn't, uh, I did not have anyone walking alongside me, uh, helping me follow Jesus outside of my mom's uh, some. And to be honest, I struggled so much during those years in following Jesus. I was really concerned as a, as a young kid early, or early teenager, I was really concerned about fitting in, being cool in middle school, you know, and having fun with my friends and making friends. Those were things I was really concerned about. And I wanted to follow God, but it just seemed so unattainable for me. It just seemed so frustrating that I could never live up to what God, you know, wanted in my life or what the Bible talked about. We talked about at church on Sunday or at youth group. So maybe you're here today. And you were major, majorly struggling in your faith, or in life in general. Or maybe you, when we talk about this, how to help people grow spiritually, maybe you're not struggling, but you have no idea how to help people grow uh, spiritually. And so, thankfully, the Bible has a ton to say on this topic. And um, what I, what I want to say today is the emphasis that we're going to talk about today is that the answer to much of this question is... Not simply found up here, but it's found out here in the pews. It's found um, in you, church, in your Bibles, and in the Spirit of God with, that lives within us who believe. So, we are, um, the worship time and the sermon time are essential, but it's not the only way the Scripture t- teaches us about how we grow spiritually. There's so much more about how we grow spiritually. We grow spiritually through everyday life centered around God's Word and the Gospel. We grow spiritually through everyday life centered around God's Word and the Gospel. We'll find our answers today, primarily it's a little bit of a topical uh, sermon, but we're going to find most of our um, answers today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. So, can someone tell me what page that is? In the black Bibles in your pew? 96? Wait, 986. 986. So before we get started, let me explain a little background about the book of Thessalonians because we haven't been talking about it for First Thessalonians. Paul, uh, Silvinus, and Timothy wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica probably 18 months to, to three years, somewhere in that time frame, after they had started the church. And the church, they had literally started, this was the only church, Christian church in Thessalonica. It's in the early 50s, just you know, 20 years or less after Jesus has arisen, okay? 
so this is a really early church, a really early letter in the Bible. And they started this church. Acts 17 tells us about the starting of this church with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Um, they would go weekly to the synagogue and they would talk to the Jewish people about um, and them, many of them coming from a Jewish background themselves. They would talk to them about how Jesus is the answer of all the Old Testament, all the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's the great redeemer, the Messiah, the rescuer of the Old Testament. Some of these Jews believed. Some people that were not Jewish believed. And that's how the church started. Now, some people from the Jewish community, not all, but some of them had a big problem with what they were talking about. And they began heavy persecution. And so much so that they were looking for Paul and his group to drag them and and um, beat them up. <laughs> so they, the church sent them away at night and got them away from there to protect them. And a few weeks later, or a few months later, uh, Timothy was sent back um, because I guess they didn't know Timothy as well as they, they saw the public figure of Paul. And they sent him back to help care for the church, probably pastor the church, the young church, okay? So that's, where we're, that's the background. Um, and some people had gotten, when Timothy comes back, he tells Paul that there's some word that um, Paul and his crew didn't really care about these people. That they had left because they, um, for selfish reasons, and they had left not caring about them. They left them alone, enduring this persecution and rejection from their family and neighbors and all this stuff. And so Paul writes this letter, among many things, to defend, among several things, but one, to defend um, his ministry and their ministry among these people. And also it teaches us about, in this we see how to grow spiritually. Uh, his model intimately of how he did that when he was with them. So 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 10. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. That's referring to the suffering and persecution, rejection, all this stuff. For our appeal does not, our appeal, when we shared the gospel with you, it does not spring from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive you, okay? But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So we could have asked for you to support us. Uh, financially, but we didn't do that. But we were f- gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but all- also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden for any of you while we proclaimed the gospel to you. So they didn't take any pay. Um, as pastors there. You are witness, witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. As you read this, as we read this, one thing is abundantly clear. Paul, Timothy, Silas, Savinius, they loved these people. Thus, we find our first truth about how we help people grow spiritually. How do we help them grow? We, we love them sacrificially. Love others sacrificially. We love others sacrificially. In November, a young, wild-eyed missionary named John Allen Chow um, paddled to a remote Indian island to tell the message about Jesus to the Sentinelese tribe 
which is extremely remote, uh, tribal group, a group of people with no known Christians. Chow was killed on his second attempt to speak to the tribe, having previously, on his first attempt, had thro- uh, spears thrown at him um, and warned to leave them alone. Upon the news of his death, many of you likely heard the public, kind of public backlash in major news outlets, including the Boston Globe. Uh, and there was a popular Facebook uh, post that I saw on my wife's Facebook and then also on, in BBC News. They, they reposted it. had 75,000 likes and almost 50,000 shares. It expressed a popular public sentiment regarding his efforts and all efforts to share the gospel. Uh, especially, um, so he said, uh, this, this woman, Kate, um, Ms. Caitlin Lowry said, I used to be a missionary. I would go to short-term mission trips to Eastern Europe or Africa. You may not be able to read that at all, sorry. Um, for the sole purpose of earning souls for Christ. We kept count of the number of people saved. Saved. We put on a play or volunteered for a little while to show our love for Jesus. And then after praying with them and adding their souls, their soul to the tally marks, we would never see them again. I thought I was doing God's work. But if, I must, if I'm being honest, I was doing work, that which made me feel good. And, and ask, ask me their names, what their names were. I must have worked with and met hundreds of people. Do I remember who, who they were? The answer was no. I prayed over these houses of worship that they would, so non-Christian or other religious houses of worship, that they would repent and see their faith was dead. Yet I never once sat down and asked to learn what they believed. Why did I assume that my faith was the right faith? This is white supremacy. This is colonization. White people entering a foreign land under the guise of caring to turn people into followers of the white people's God and life, or American people's. Do not pretend that colonization doesn't happen anymore. It just lives under a new name, mission trip. Do not victimize the missionary that was killed for not following the laws of the tribe he claimed to love. If he cared, he would have already known their beliefs and laws and would not have disrespected them. But he didn't care. They were just going to be another notch on his cross. There's a little bit more, but that's the gist of it. There are many things about Miss Laura's posts that we could talk about. We don't really have time. But one of the things that I want to really point out first is to compare how does her description of mission work match the model that we see in Scripture of what mission work is supposed to look like. Okay, so what do we notice about Paul, Timothy, and Silas going to tell them uh, about Jesus is actually quite different than the mission work that is described in this quote. Verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. We had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi. So they had already endured physical abuse, most likely, in in Philippi uh, in order to talk to them about Jesus, Okay. Verse 3, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Their appeal to them was not out of a false belief or an attempt to, or impure motives, right? To trick them in some way, to trick them to becoming Christians. Verse 4, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. So God's our witness here. The purpose was not to make them, our, us feel good, but to please God. Verse 5, we never came with words of flattery nor a pretext for greed. God is our witness. They weren't doing these things, making these things up. They weren't trying to get fame or fortune off these people, right? They weren't doing it through some kind of selfish motives. Nor did we seek glory from people. 
They didn't do this to get famous, to get Instagram likes or Facebook or get in the newspaper, right? Or to have all these people cheer them. No, they were so caring. They were so caring like a mother, verse 7, gentle among you, like a nursing mother takes care of her own children. So tender, so loving, so sacrificial, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only gospel, but our very lives as well, because you become so dear to us. In verse 8, he is, he's saying, we loved you so much that we gave you our whole lives and told you about Jesus. We poured our lives into you. Verse 9, we worked nine a day so as not to take any financial support off of you. Verse 10, they claimed that the Thessalonians were witnesses of this, and they could tell their pure conduct and their right motives. And all this. This is... Wow, this is a really different picture, right, of what she describes here um, as missionary work. And I think if you read John Chow, if you read really descriptions, um, accurate descriptions of what he was doing, I think you would see the same thing. And so the Apostle Paul um, loved people sacrificially. Loved people sacrificially. Miss... um, Miss Lowry and, and other people that do missions like this would do themselves very well if they were just honest from the beginning and say, right, I don't love these people. <laughs> I'm doing this for me. Right? It's a fun vacation or something. I don't know. But right, we have to ask ourselves, if we genuinely love people around us, right? it's, it's a genuine question that we need to ask ourselves when we are in a Bible study or we're talking about God to people or we're talking about the Bible to people, do we love these people? Do we care about them? Next we see that it means that what it means that we live, that we love sacrificially is that we must give ourselves. Like a, we must give ourselves. Like a mo- mother caring for her nursing infant, they care for them tenderly, lovingly, nurturing them. Verse 9, they didn't take any pay. or work in a, They worked other jobs in order to keep from being a burden to them. Um, these are incredible examples of self-giving, of sacrifice for the good of others, of the, the tender, nurturing care, and tender care, right, that they had for them. Um, some of you won't, um, I know some of you, will. this won't be a shock, but some of you might be a shock. You know, when you have an infant, they have to eat like every one to three hours. And, and that, this is shocking, that includes at nighttime too, right? Whoa. So when you have a nursing infant, like you, you can't just do whatever you want to do, watch Netflix all night, and then just like, oh, he'll be okay. He's just crying all night long. Just put on the sound machine, put in your earbuds, and you're good. No, you can't do that, right? Because why? Because to be a mom and to, to nurse and be a mom, it requires incredible sacrifice, and it requires that you put yourself aside to care for this baby and you do it tenderly, not just begrudgingly. And you want to do that, right? That's the kind of love that he, he, he uses here to describe the love that, we, that they had for these young believers when they were just became believers in Christ. My wife and I joke um, often to people, to college students, we work with college students, I will often joke with them that um, when you get married, you realize how selfish... We, when we got married, we realized how selfish we were when we were single, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, you've got to think about this other person. You can't just do whatever you want, right? But then 
then when you get, and then uh, it's another step. When you start having kids, you go to another step of realizing, oh, I was really selfish when I didn't have kids, <laughs> right? Because all of a sudden, your life becomes about the good of this other person, these children that you're raising. Even my wife had to tell me a few times, Kevin, wake up. You know, you're caring for these kids. Stop being so selfish. And I need to hear that sometimes. So, and the Bible uses that exact metaphor to speak about how we raise people spiritually with that tender care and that self-sacrifice. We need spiritual parents, family, big brothers, big sisters, right, to care for younger people in the faith and help them grow spiritually. There's, we need that in the church, right? There's no other way to raise a spiritual baby than for Christians to father, mother, big sister, big brother, young believers. It's needed, all right? And all of this, we make our goal the other person's ultimate good. We make our goal the other person's ultimate good, like raising a child, right? We put aside our wants sometimes to put, to make our, the ultimate goal the good of the child, our, our children. This is implied when, in what we are saying when Paul says he loves these people. When you love someone, you want what's best for them. So you have a basic, you need to have a basic idea in your mind or basic definition in your mind of what the good is for this person. What's the ultimate good? What's best for this person? Jesus tells us it's that they have life in him, okay? Paul says that it's a, that they be formed into, to be like Jesus. That's what the ultimate goal is in caring for people is that they love Jesus, they love the Lord with all their heart, and they love other people, and they follow him. Now, if I were to guess, I think most of us probably, um, you know, we might have a few people like that Facebook post in our life, but most of us hear something that's maybe a little calmer. It's maybe something like this, right? Um, I'm really happy that you love Jesus and you're really religious. That's good for you, right? That's usually what we hear a lot of times from people. Um, but, you know, the implied in that is, you know, that's good for you, something else is good for me. There's no ultimate good for everybody. <laughs> it's kind of whatever we want makes us happy, right? We must ask ourselves a serious question. What is best, right? What is best for people? For the Jewish people in Thessalonica, for the Sintanalese, uh, I always tongue twister, tribe, what was best for them? For our non-religious neighbor right? And for the nations, what is best for them? Um, for many people, it, like exemplified in that quote from Miss Lowry, is, it is, is for this tribe and for other people just to be left alone, to be respected, to be able to do what they, whatever they want to be do in their life. But that defines what an ultimate good is, right? Ultimate good is whatever you want to do. It makes you happy. That is the definition of ultimate good for a lot of people. But is that true? Right? Doing whatever you do, want to do, whatever makes you happy, or, whatever, or just being a good person. Behind also this quote, this idea is that all good people just go to heaven. Right? But if Paul and Silas and Timothy believed that, why would they endure persecution everywhere they went? Why would they talk to Jewish people who believed in the same God as them and about Jesus and insist that you have to believe in Jesus? Why would they do that? It just doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus, you know, say, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, he could have just skipped the cross, right? If, if, if all good people just get there. But for Paul and Silas and Timothy and for in the Bible, right, 
happiness in God requires going through Jesus. Happiness for the Sentinelese people and for, for our non-religious neighbors is to be is, is found in joy in, in knowing Jesus Christ in a relationship with God. Listen to verses 2, 19 through 20. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? So at the end of time, when we get to heaven, what's going to be our joy? What are we going to, what do we can't wait to tell God about? Is it not you, Thessalonica? Is it not you, church? For you are our glory and joy. My, I'm just going to be so proud to say to Jesus, look, my spiritual kids, look how they're loving you. Look how they're following you. Look how they're glorifying you in their life. Look how they just find their joy in you. Paul's joy was seeing these people whom he loved and they, the other missionaries loved standing for Jesus in eternal happiness and fulfillment. Not in a few short years of their lives doing whatever they wanted to do with their lives and, and finding temporary happiness in, in this, but to find life in God. By loving them and telling them about Jesus, we seek people's ultimate good. Let's continue. We're going to reread verse 9. Let's go, uh, we're going to read 9 through 13. All right? For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. We help others grow spiritually, first by sacrificially loving them, but second, by giving, the, by giving one another God's word, the gospel. Okay? We love people by giving them. We give them God's word. We give them the gospel. We give them God's word. Okay? So here's the emphasis for the rest of the sermon, and we've kind of been moving towards this, as, as how we love people. We give people God's word, the gospel, all right? So remember that. Write it down if you haven't. Circle it. It's important, okay? What is it that we give people who are discouraged? Um, when we talk to people that are down at work or at school or kids, what do we give them? When they need direction in life or help or mentoring, we give them po- do we give them positive thoughts, sayings our parents told us, scientific facts, all those may be good. They may not be good. They may be good, right? They may be good and they may be helpful, right? But, but Jesus said, to help people grow spiritually, we need the word of God. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's the implication there? You can't live spiritually without the word of God. A lot of the word of God, right? You need it just as much as you need physical food is the implication, so, we serve a God whose primary way of relating to us is through speaking words. In the beginning, he said, let there be light. A word, right? Then he spoke 
to Adam and Eve, and he told them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. A word that he told them. How did he relate to them? With words. Okay? He told Abraham, and he gave Abraham a promise. And he said, go, right? He gave him a word, a message. He spoke. What do we read in the rest of the Old Testament? Thus saith saith the Lord is a word that God gives his people. Then, who in John 1, 1, we, or in John 1, we see the eternal word became flesh. Jesus, he, the word of God, eternally speaking, became a human being. And then, what do we see first out of his mouth? In, John, in Mark 1, I think 15 or 17, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. It's a message. It's a word. Okay, and then Jesus tells us lots of words, and we have it written down in the Word, right? In the Bible. And then he sends out the church with a word. He sends out believers with a word about, and the gospel, which is about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for sins. Okay, and then Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we get, go therefore and make disciples. How are we supposed to make disciples? Teaching them everything I have commanded you. With words, all right? So we show love through our actions, which is essential. We started with that, right? But we have to have words with it because the gospel and the Bible is a word of God to us. Jesus, the gospel, and the gospel being the summation of all of that, that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and the the whole point of the Bible. So we go to tell others his gospel, his word, and that requires teaching others his words. What do we see from the, the New Testament believers? In 2 Timothy 2, 2, we see Paul tells Timothy, and whatever you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, memorize this verse, that's why I say it a lot, <laughs> uh, of many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. So you see Paul, Timothy, telling Timothy to tell other faithful people, other faithful people telling others, right, what I've taught you. So we see that progression of teaching in the church. So we love people by telling them words. Notice the emphasis on 1 Thessalonians 2, in 1 Thessalonians 2, returning to that, on the word or the gospel. Sometimes the word of the Lord or the word of God is a synonym for the gospel um, the, in the teachings of Jesus. Second, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, how did they show their love for them? They gave them their lives and the gospel. Okay, the word of God. Thus, they sacrificially did that for, love these people in that way. Thus, um, Tim Keller said it this way, we don't love people in order to share our faith with them. Rather, we share our faith with them in order to love them. We love people when we share our faith with them, right? We love them, which is beyond just words. It's a whole life action and of, of speaking as well. We must be people who continually and constantly talk about Jesus. So how do we give one another God's word? Well, obviously, we, at our church, we have a big emphasis on the preaching of God's word, and most, that's why most Protestant churches have the Bible, and if you notice, it's all centered around the word, going out, right? But um, we also do that, we gather in loving relationships and, and um, personal relationships in order that we might talk about the Word of God and about Jesus together. So these relations, it's a dissemination of the Word of God 
throughout the people of God. We talk about Jesus, so that means we need to talk about Jesus, the gospel, a lot. We need to talk about Jesus a lot. Paul and his co-workers shared the gospel with these people, verse 8. They proclaimed the gospel daily, verse 9. They showed a life modeled by God's word, verse 10. They spiritually instructed them as as fathers, exhorting them, challenging them, encouraging them. What do you think they exhorted them and challenged them and encouraged them with and urged them? God's word, all right? So, lest you miss it, verse 13, the word of God which is at work in you. So how do we, how are we changed? How we follow faithfully according to God? How do we live for God? The word of God in our lives, okay? So the church can't grow without God's word. And and Sunday morning or Sunday class is not enough of God's word. We need to talk about Jesus, the word, a lot to help others grow. First, uh, First Peter 2 2 states, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk implied here is of God's word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Christianity is not primarily about religious duties. It's not primary it's not about being a better person. Primarily it's not about good advice. It's about a word, the gospel, about Jesus Christ saving us, dying to rescue us for our inability to be a good person, our inability, our failure to be good people, right? He was good for us and makes us good, not based on our own good. And that changes us. God changes us in, through His Spirit so that we might be good and we might live for God. So that is why we talk about God's Word. Some of us need to hear what I just said, and you need to let it sink in, Okay? the depths of your heart. I don't care, you know, if, you, if you've been a Christian all your life, right? You need to realize you cannot please God by being a good person. You will never be good enough. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all know that. Everybody knows that. Because everybody has those times where you have that guilt, that shame. Maybe it's late at night, when you're driving in the car, or whatever, where you feel you're not measuring up. When you have thoughts, when you have, you know, thoughts or you do things that you don't want to tell anybody else about. And then what are we supposed to do with that? Tell ourselves, oh, but I'm really a good person. Just tell yourself that over and over and over and then you can forget about that shame and guilt you feel and, and, and therapize yourself. For, that's not a word. But, but no, we don't do that, right? We say Jesus became our guilt on the cross. Jesus forgives that and cleanses us of that, right? So that that's hope. That's actual hope, not just telling yourself some kind of good saying, right? Because it's a real hope that you can have forgiveness. You can have freedom. You can have a clear conscience because it's not based on how good you've been. It's about how good Jesus was for you and how his death cleanses that, washes that away, absorbed that judgment that you deserve. If you feel that right now, right, and that's the first time, you need to believe that. You need to trust that. And that's when the scripture says, believing that, trusting that, and you are saved. And that is the gospel. Believe it. So we teach how to live for Jesus in the everyday life. We need to know these truths in the everyday life. These men were like fathers 
instructing your children. In, children. in the Jewish and Greco-Roman world, the fathers had the responsibility of teaching their children. Okay? And so that's what's implied here. When he says, like a father instructing you, he's, he's, he's referring to that. So he's saying, like, teachers, we taught you. The implication here is a life on... It's not a classroom. It's a life-on-life life teaching of how to follow Jesus. It's in the car. It's on the way to work. You know, it's at the breakfast table. They were teaching them uh, what... And as if we haven't gotten it already, what were they teaching them? They were teaching them the gospel, the Bible, how to trust and follow Jesus. Verse 12, we charge you in a man- manner worthy of God. So we're, we, were li- we were encouraging you to live in a way that reflects and brings glory and makes Jesus look good, makes God look good. Verse, uh, for, uh, Colossians one twenty eight is a verse that I love, and it tells us why Paul and what is his goal, right? Him, that's Jesus, we proclaim. So we tell people about Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that, here's his purpose, we may present everyone mature in Christ. Their goal was for people to look like Jesus in every way. Full maturity, spiritually strong, strengthened spiritual growth in Jesus, depending on Jesus, finding our inner strength from Jesus, finding our encouragement from Jesus and his word, right? Caring for one another, supporting one another from Jesus, and loving and obeying Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. Colossians 3.16 um, is another important verse because it tells us that this isn't just the pastor's job. This is everyone's job. Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell among you, church, teaching one another in all wisdom and spiritual insight. Every Christian in everyday life, supporting, caring, and encouraging another with, with God's word. Discipling each other and growing others spiritually means living everyday life with other Christians with intentionality of God's word and love, which we already talked about, okay? So how do we do this practically? How do we do this daily? Being people of God's word needs to happen in conversations about God's word in everyday life. It takes place, it may take place in Bible discussion and and discussions about a Bible study, but it also takes place with a friend, maybe that we're reading the Bible with. It takes place texting or um, calling and connecting with other believers, uh, uh, sharing with them God's Word, or or non-Christians sharing with them God's Word. It may mean memorizing Scripture together with other believers and reciting it together. It could be informal conversations in the car when you're taking the kids to school, right? Or um, when you're working out, or when you're washing the dishes, or buying groceries, uh, or on trips. I love, one of the things I've learned from other people was, when I'm going on a trip by myself, and my family can't go, I'll try to take someone else that's a younger Christian, or not a Christian, with me, and we'll have conversations about God when we do that. Or it could be over a dinner, or a mealtime together, or coffee, Right? It it needs to be on the terrible days, (laughs) whenever we have done a, you know, we're like, am I really a Christian today? I've like failed in every way. I just had an argument with my wife, uh, or my parents, or my kids, right? In In the confession of sin and in the victories. We bring God's word into every part of our everyday life. Thus, if I haven't been clear, we need to say God transforms people in spiritual growth. Primarily through his word. 
you looked at all through Scripture, that's how he does it. He doesn't do it primarily through experiences or emotions. Those are important, so important, right? But that isn't the primary way he does it. The primary way he does it is through his word. Um, verse 13, as we already quoted, these new believers receive the teacher's words, not as their own, but as God's. And that's what's at, and this word continues to work in you who believe. You alone cannot change people or make people grow. But the good thing is you can change people and make people grow through God's word. Because God is the one doing it. That's the hope, right? God, you can change through God's word. Through his spirit. Through his word. Working in us through his people. So where do I start? As we kind of end, where do I start? Just to be super practical. One, commit to deep friendships in the church. This is what, and, and outside the church, with non-Christians. With our non-Christian friends and family, commit to them with deep friendships. People won't listen to you until they know you can trust you. Okay? And so it's important to build that relationship with people. Um, And that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks, so we won't spend too much time there. Two, lovingly serve these people. People need to know how much you care for them. And look... And so, before you give them a word, often, I think um, one of the best approaches is to often see how we might help and serve them, and then they might be more open to listening to what we have to say. Three, share a struggle in your life and ask how you might pray for them. So this is, this is simply saying, instead of saying, how can I pray for you? And they, you know, they say, whatever. You might share something a little more you know, real. <laughs> so like you might say, you know, I've been really uh, struggling with this this week, and I just, can you pray for me about that? How can I pray for you? Okay? So these are ways that we, we, can, we can do that. Um, be intentional together. Plan times when you're going to talk about how God is working and speaking to you through his word. So one question I like to ask people that I'm really investing in, I, I like to ask, well, two questions. How's your love for Jesus? Um, how are you doing loving Jesus? The second one, how's God speaking to you through his word this week? Okay? But one thing, I'm not always the best at this one, and I think it's a great thing. One of my friends here at the church told me about his church doing this, and I was like, oh, we should do this better. But just like after some time today, make it your goal where with your spouse or with your uh, friend or with your kids or with your parents, just ask, you know, what was impactful about the sermon today? Or what, what did you get out of it? Right? So... What if after this meal, or after this time, a lot of you going to lunch, what if that was something that was brought up at lunchtime, right? Or, uh, you know, even my kid, with my kids sometimes, it's like, did you remember anything that Pastor Shane said today, you know, or that Dad said today? Um, and so we, we can talk about that, and, and sometimes they say, you know, well, you made a joke, Dad, you know, whatever. So um, sometimes maybe it's something about God's Word, and, and that would be good, but... Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, like I said, we're not perfect with this. Some days we're just trying to get home before everybody has a meltdown in the car, right? So, uh, I'm just saying, like, make us a goal, right? Be realistic. So what would it look like for all of us, um, if all of us loved each other daily by speaking the word, um, and the gospel to each other? What would that look like? We must not miss um, that this is only in the context of deep relationships that this can happen, 
right? It's only through relationships. You can't read the script. You can only read the scripture very um, individualistically when you, if you don't realize that you can only have a brother spiritually if you're part of a local church, right? You can only have a father spiritually if you're part of a local church. You can only be a big brother to someone spiritually if you're part of the church, right? So that's why it's important. What would it look like if we did that in everyday life? Struggling and, and having praises and victories together, together with God's word. I'm excited to see what that might look like together with you guys. Let's pray. God, we, um, we are, I'm humbled by this word. I'm, I'm just continually challenged. Um, it's, it's so challenging to look at the love and sacrifice. I, I, I don't like to have any pain in my life. <laughs> so um, it's crazy to me to think about these missionaries um, going to these people, knowing uh, what they just experienced in previous towns, uh, people rejecting you and, and making fun of them and running them out of town and things like that. Um, so Lord, just give us a boldness, give us a passion, uh, give us a love for you and for um, other people here and for people around us and for the nations that, that all might know um, your beauty, your love, um, your goodness, your righteousness, um, that all might know your holiness, you and your, in your word and, and all the beauty that it is. I pray that we could, we could be like David in Psalm 19, that we might see your word is more valuable than honey, is better uh, than a cheeseburger, that we might see your word like that good. And so I pray, God, that we would long and hunger for your word like Peter talked about, the spiritual word, that we might cry out for it like babies, like wanting the milk of your word, that we might be like Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, um, give us those kind of hearts and help us to get beyond ourselves in our lives to see that others around us need that. And to love people enough to give them your word, even those that want their space. Um, help us to be patient, like a mother caring for her, her babies. Like just to be patient and caring with them. Um, to seek that they might know Jesus. Give us that kind of heart. And, uh, and change us, God. We, we thank you for your promises of changing us. I thank you how you've changed me and changed many of us in here to be more like Jesus. And we just... We want that heart, Lord. And uh, we pray all these things in the powerful name of the word, Jesus. Amen.